Welcome to the Mormons and Drugs podcast, a weekly podcast wherein I discuss the shockingly frequent intersections of Mormonism, magic, and drugs. I am Cody, the pizza cook, Nakoni, a history fan, your ranty host. Joining me as always is Moth Dula. How are you doing, Moth? Fine. Fine. <laughs> Today's not going to be a fun episode. I've, I've, uh, I've been dreading this yeah. for a long time and like... <laughs> now even more so so we're not really going to talk much about magic or drugs today it was just more mormonism uh if you're into continuity and a clear linear timeline it doesn't really matter this is one of the tangential rants episode uh wherein i take a break from the main narrative of joe's historical trip through mormonism uh to rant tangentially about whatever i feel like um Unfortunately, I, I designed this podcast so that I would not have to talk about current events in Mormonism, uh, but with current events, the the church leadership just once again... Disgusts you and makes you and feel slimy. This was kind of an episode I was going to do anyway. Um, I've revised it, given current events. Oh, yeah. You've been wanting um, to do this. Yeah. Uh, but I think now is an appropriate time oh, to do this. <laughs> man, yeah, like I kind of wish we had just done it before. Yeah. Now it just makes me more sick to my stomach. This I was sick. Uh, you kept saying like we should do this. We need to do this, and I was just like, I really, I really don't want. Like I'm that makes me sick to my stomach. I really don't want to do it. But we'll we'll do it. We'll do it. It's and not I, a fun thing to no, do, especially. But you are right. It should be said. And now is just like. Yeah. So if if you've been living in a cave, uh, unfortunately, (laughs) due to the recent worldwide protests in the wake of George Floyd's murder at the hands of Minneapolis police, uh, current LDS prophet Russell Nelson made a number of grossly disingenuous and what I think are willfully misdirective statements that use the murder of George Floyd to spin a lot of good PR for the church. Uh, Prophet Nelson, after meeting with leaders of the NAACP and taking a very quaint photo op with them, uh, condemned racism, called for increased love and understanding, as well as a call for the world to repent for the sin of racism. Makes me want to vomit. Similarly, Mitt Romney, a prominent Mormon politician, joined uh, the Washington, D.C. protests and was posting it on his social media accounts. And, you know, that all sounds good and looks good on the surface. Mm. Uh, If you ignore the clear near 200-year history of blatant racism of the church and church leadership, not to mention the narrative backbone of white supremacy in the Mormon religion, uh, it's about as useful to the current situation as pictures of cops kneeling. You know, we we don't need quaint pictures that gets us all fuzzy. We need real reform and policy change. Yeah. Hilariously enough, uh, the NAACP recently made a series of statements about that photo op, how uncomfortable they were with how much good PR the Mormons were garnering for this one meeting, this one meeting, Uh, quote, this is from a a Salt Lake Tribune article that is quoting uh, one of the men that was in that photo op. Those were minor efforts, Colin said. They do not befit the stature and magnitude of what the LDS church can and should do. 
The NAACP is looking forward to the church doing more to undo the 150 years of damage they did and how they treated African Americans in the church, Collins said. And by their endorsement of how African Americans were treated throughout the country, including segregation and Jim Crow laws. But there seems to be no willingness on the part of the church, Collins said, to do anything material. He looks forward to their deeds matching their words, he said. It's time now for more than sweet talk. Call him out. Yeah. Um, call slam. Him, call him fucking out. Uh, call him and the NAACP are not idiots, clearly. Uh, they know their history, or at least know how to use a fucking search engine, and called out the current LDS prophet on his bullshit. This podcast uh, is an attempt to help contextualize that 150-year history of damage that he was talking about and to illustrate how and why the Mormon church needs to change or maybe just not exist anymore. (laughs) Um, It is sadly by no means an exhaustive analysis of racism and Mormonism, merely a highlight reel, so to speak, of the very real white supremacy that is baked into the foundations of the religion. Uh, if you haven't noticed already, I'm kind of uncomfortable and this enrages me. Um, a warning, I'm going to be reading a lot of direct quotes from vehemently racist Mormon leaders. And so I will be using a lot of unsavory racist language and theology in this uh, episode. It's uncomfortable for me to cover and it's infuriating to me that Mormons try and pretend this doesn't exist. So buckle up. This is going to be a very uncomfortable episode. I try and keep things pretty light, but I this is going to be a hard one. Yeah. Uh, the following information is pieced together largely from a paper I wrote some years ago that I titled, In Heaven, Whites Only, Snapshots of White Supremacy and Mormonism. The Mormon faith believes in continued revelation, wherein God can change his mind on a given topic, so to speak, and instruct later generations differently than in previous ones. And unless a set of revelations are corrected or clarified by the current prophet or leader of the church, then one must assume that the previous revelations are still canonized doctrine. Although current leadership has attempted to whitewash its wholly unsavory relationship to racism and white supremacist ideology, there are still a series of unresolved issues that desperately need to be addressed by the Mormon hierarchy. At the very least, Parishioners within the organization need to call for a badly needed update or clarification to standing church doctrine and philosophy. Nelson can't just pose with some black people and then act like the church is or has ever been an ally in this cause. (laughs) Um, In order to better establish that this is all in fact Mormon doctrine and not just like folklore or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, I will cite only canonized Mormon scripture and firsthand statements made by the church's hierarchy. So this is only stuff in the book. This is like... This is as doctrine as it gets. And, and they currently print it. Uh, yeah, and it's a lot of it's still printed. Okay. Uh, a lot okay, of it's some been, of it's not, though. We'll cover, a lot of it's been edited down, ah. but means the same thing. Of course. So we'll go over that. Um, it, this is not an attempt to slander Mormonism. It is a snapshot of factually and historically based dogma, which much of the Mormon church is either willfully ignorant of or which frantically grasps at weak rationalizations for its existence. In the current political and racial climate of the United States, it is more important than ever that this history and doctrine be brought more openly into the public forum so that it can be fairly analyzed for its philosophical and ethical shortcomings. Yeah, if it's a little fuzzy, you need to be fucking clear. Yeah, especially if you're calling for uh, 
to repent for the sin of racism mm-hmm. um, as well. Yeah. We'll cover that. But uh, part of the repentance process in Mormonism is kind of like a 12 step. You have to admit that you did something wrong to mm-hmm. the people you did it wrong to. Okay. Uh, just, you know, throwing this out there as a teenager, um, I was made to tell my whole family why I couldn't pass sacrament or practice my priesthood authority uh, because I masturbated too much. You had and to was, say that to your Yeah, family. and I was sinning against my family. So I had to admit to my family why I couldn't do that. So um, I think it's at least fair that Nelson has to admit to the world why he needs to repent and the Mormon church, frankly, for the sin of racism. Absolutely. <laughs> I have, this is, uh, if you can't tell. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Try and calm down. Um, so, in Mormonism, did you know that melanin content is a hereditary sign of ancestral wickedness? Uh, you you did you did tell me that Ooh. about um, Mormonism actually, and I think it was the first time that it really hurt my feelings. It should because it's fucked up. Um, people don't know obviously at all what I look like, but I'm I'm a mutt, um, as they say. I'm. I have a I have a Caucasian mother, but I don't have a Caucasian father, and I'm just a mutt. So I'm brown. Um, and I remember you telling me this after I met your family, and I have Mormon family, but I don't really talk to them, and they are on the Caucasian side. So um, as most Mormons are, <laughs> so that was never like a thing to me, and my grandma's. Mormon, so but she never treated me like I was wicked ever. So I don't think that's something she even knows about, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot I, of Mormons don't. They yeah. kind of glaze over this and don't really think about it too much. And I, but I remember. I know your family is very, very Mormon. My grandma's not very. I don't know. She's There's horrible Mormon. She's a horrible Mormon. She drinks. She <laughs> does. She does all kinds of things, but. I remember you telling me that about this, and and it was after I met your family, and it was the first time my feelings were really hurt, because I guess that meant that they felt that about me. Whether they want to acknowledge it or not. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the problem here, is it, a lot of it is just, it, it's like letting somebody know that they're, they were born into privilege. Some people are inherently uncomfortable with that and get really, really sometimes violently upset about that mm-hmm. um and then some people kind of take a moment to reanalyze their life and go well maybe uh i need to be conducting myself a little differently yeah <laughs> sorry uh so yeah one one section of current mormon dogma uh or not even dogma just scripture it's in the scriptures uh which has yet to be revised in any meaningful way regards Inherently racist doctrine uh, that considers darker skin to be a caste-like, divinely ordained form of segregation. So, God meant you to be black because you and or your ancestors were wicked, and I needed all of the white people, the righteous white people, to know not to fuck your people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that... I'm parroting there. Yeah, no. (laughs) No, of course. Um... (laughs) So for the vast majority of Mormon history, the church did not allow people of color, primarily that of African descent, to participate in temple endowments or sealing uh, ceremonies, which are the most important ordinances in the faith. The unique exceptions to this tradition being those of uh, Australia and Pacific Islanders and Native Americans, which I'll discuss a little later. Somehow they were exempt from this exclusion. Um, I think we actually, sorry, 
I have ice in my mouth. I think we actually did go over that like for a second. But yeah. Maybe a little bit. It's yeah, but um, we're going to go into it into some depth and yeah. explain why that is. Justification for such practices came from old Christian traditions uh, that were used to long justify slavery. Uh, that being that God had marked Cain, you know, Cain and Abel in the Bible. Cain's the bad guy. Cain's the, the bad, bad guy one. that kills his brother Abel. Yeah, okay. God marks him uh, and his seed with a black skin for killing his brother Abel. This is in Mormon scripture. This is not like necessarily. So Cain can get a sweet tan. <laughs> he gets an immediate tan. Yeah. God damn it. I'm going to try and walk through this minefield of an episode. Um, God damn I'm it. sorry. I've drank I, too please, much already. Okay. Well, please don't take our humor as that we are okay with this. We are, <laughs> I, I uh, joke just, when I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> a lot of uncomfort in this episode. So uh, God marks Cain uh, with a black skin for killing his brother Abel. This curse uh, was then carried on through the biblical flood with uh, the wife of Ham, one of Noah's sons. So or one of Noah's sons married a black lady. And um, this continuation of Cain's curse was Ham's celestial punishment for the incident in which Ham had the gall to laugh at his naked, unconscious drunk of a father. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. Okay. Uh, so in the, in the Bible, uh, Noah gets drunk, falls asleep naked in his tent, and rather than cover his, his father's shame, yeah. uh, he laughs at him. <laughs> Which, and God allows his kids to be black okay. because he that's his curse, I guess. that was really bad. And that, okay. Yeah. So Ham and his wife, Egyptus, this black lady, go on to found Egypt. That's where... Uh, Which and, ended up being awesome, so fuck you. <laughs> right. And Egyptus is a uh, badass name, so you again. That is a cool name. Egyptus, yeah. yeah. Uh, to quickly reiterate, early Christians believed that their god had a strange penchant for cursing wicked individuals with a black skin and then the subsequent children that followed. Uh, a series of dogmatic narrative that similarly showed up in, repeatedly in Mormon scriptures. Quote, For behold, the Lord shall curse the land with much heat and barrenness thereof shall go forth forever. He's trying to describe Africa clearly. Uh, and there was a blackness came upon all the children of Canaan, and they were despised among all people, unquote, because yeah. they were black. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was pretty That's, clear. Is that clear enough? That's okay. clear. That's pretty clear. Um, a divine curse of high melanin content is repeated nearly a dozen times throughout Mormon scripture and is featured as a central narrative to the Book of Mormon. In this religious text, most Native American tribes are fictitiously split into two main groups, the Nephites and Lamanites essentially righteous white Indians and wicked dark-skinned ones. The opening chapters of the Book of Mormon, the Mormon god, quote, had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing, because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, and they had become like unto flint, wherefore they were white, exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing to my people. The Lord God did cause a blackness to come upon them. So they fucked up, and I, I had to let all the good, white, righteous people know not to fuck you, because you're evil, mm -hmm. so I made you dark. And that's Mormon scripture. Continuing on, uh, this narrative eventually culminates in an all-out race war between the white and dark Native Americans, wherein some one million casualties are recorded from one single battle. 
This battle saw the wicked Lamanites finally killing off all of the white righteous Nephites, thus uh, explaining uh, via 19th century Christian fan fiction where all the Native Americans came from and why they were so dark and savage when the so-called civilized Europeans showed up. The Book of Mormon literally starts and ends with a white supremacist race war. The Book of Mormon is a sort of 1800s version of the goddamn fucking Turner Diaries. Like, and it, it, there's a religion based around it. Mm-hmm. So, the Mormon god is, you know, not such a bad guy because he eventually removes that curse when his servants prove pious enough. Several times through Mormon history and scripture, there remains a number of references to sufficiently righteous people of color that, quote, their curse was taken from them and their skin became white like unto the Nephites, unquote. In case anyone has any residual misconceptions regarding the spirit of this language, consider the following prophecy regarding a cursed Native American. Quote, their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes, and many generations shall not pass away among them, save there shall be a white and delightsome people. Unquote. Said passage was edited out in 1981 when white was changed to pure, conveniently brushing under the rug a rather distasteful and bigoted history. This is a weak apologist attempt at arguing uh, for a reference to spiritual purity in the Book of Mormon rather than physical blackness. Uh, as I will continue to exhaustively present, this is a sad, propagandized spin on reality. This is just not fucking true. They were literally talking about skin. Um, as mentioned above, within Mormon theology, there appears a long-standing arrangement with God and the pre-Columbian Americas, wherein an individual's melanin content is based directly upon their current piety. So just because you were born black doesn't mean you have to stay black. You can become righteous and you'll turn white because God's cool. Which is to say that at any point, righteous individuals who fall from grace would apparently turn from light-colored skin into darker ones uh, very rapidly. For example, quote, After they had dwindled in unbelief, they became dark and loathsome and a filthy people full of idleness and all manner of abominations. So even Nephites, even like the cool white Nephites, can turn black if they don't follow... God's law. This sentiment of white supremacy was not just recorded in scripture, but repeatedly parroted over nearly two centuries by nearly every leader of the Mormon religion. So again, you can't just take some photos and pretend like everything's cool. On that note, the native inhabitants of the Americas, the Pacific Islands, and Australia were uniquely exempt from many of the church's uh, ecclesiastical restrictions uh, and racist beliefs during the 20th century. I kind of mentioned this. Uh, the Mormon reasoning for this is rather confusing, as allegedly those of African descent were the seed of Cain, who were cursed for their political stance during the pre-mortal existence and war in heaven. Fuck my... I'm sp we'll get to this. I know it's Mormonese... <laughs> But African people were the seed of Cain, and they're being punished for an eternal sin that they committed and are put into black bodies because this is their caste-like punishment on this planet or some bullshit. And those indigenous descendants of uh, America, Pacific Islands, and Australia were the seed of Lehi, the people in the Book of Mormon, mm -hmm. uh, who were simply cursed with a high melanin content in order to remind them of their ancestral sins. So they can still hold the priesthood and do all the cool stuff in the church, but they just, you know, know your place. 
which is not true because it also says in the Book of Mormon that they lost their priesthood rights. Anyway, oh. this is an evolving theory, but what I'm I'm giving you the apologetic argument right for why this exists. Okay. Frankly, they found success in the in the uh, Pacific Islands with missionary work okay. and established a bunch of people really quickly and we're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, we have to give them rights because then they pay tithe and we make money." Right. That's they, really why that happened. They sat and read the books and they went, "Hey, um Hey, it says that why what does it say yeah and this just hurts my feelings <laughs> yeah uh so they changed that rule because cool. it was one of their first big conversions uh overseas mm-hmm. so um i guess that's nice um joseph joseph smith the founder of mormonism uh his brand of racism was very strange indeed as uh his first secret polygamous revelation was a command that the mormon hierarchy should take brides from among the lamanites specifically so that generations afterward might become white and delightsome once more specifically go take brides so that we can make the indians white again quote so so they wanted to dilute them yes well uh, they were trying to explain a, a physical phenomenon with racist, like, theology and bullshit cosmology. Anyway, uh, Joseph said, quote, You should take unto you wives of the Lamanites and Nephites, that their prosperity may become white, delightsome, and just. So, he, like I said, go take wives so we can turn the Lamanites white. Furthermore, the Mormon Church eventually started reform schools for Native American children in order to literally whitewash them into mainstream Mormon society. As late as 1960, more, uh, 1960 Mormon prophets were the epitome of white savior complex, uh, preaching about turning Native Americans white and delightsome. From Prophet Spencer W. Kimball, quote, The day of the Lamanites is nigh. For years have been growing delightsome, and they are now becoming white and delightsome, as they were promised. In this picture of the twenty Lamanite missionaries, fifteen of the twenty were as light as Anglos. Five were darker, but equally delightsome. The children in the home placement program in Utah are often lighter than their brothers and sisters in the Hogan's on the reservation. At one meeting, a father and mother of their 16-year-old daughter were present, and the little member girl 16 sitting between the dark father and mother, it was evident that she was several shades lighter than her parents on the same reservation, in the same Hogan, subject to the same sun and wind and weather. There was the doctor in a Utah city who for two years had had an Indian boy in his home who stated that he was some shades lighter than the younger brother just coming into the program from the reservation. These young members of the church are changing to whiteness and delightsome. One white elder jokingly said that he and his companion were donating blood regularly to the hospital in the hope that the process might be accelerated. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, essentially... Mormon missionaries started reform schools for Native American children. These children then spent most of their day indoors at school, whereas their parents remained working outdoors or living outdoors. To anyone with half a brain, it seems pretty obvious that people tan. And when you're indoors all day, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Spencer W. Kimball, not a scientist or doctor or critical thinker at all for that matter, used this as an example of proof for the fulfillment of Mormon doctrine regarding melanin content being associated with spiritual righteousness. Furthermore, the fact that Mormons were joking with each other that they were donating blood to a blood bank 
so that Native Americans who received that blood would become more righteous by receiving their righteous blood is really fucked up. Yeah. I don't really have much else to say about that. <clears throat> Although the church policy change in 1978 allowed for those of African descent to finally hold a priesthood and participate in temple ceremonies, this racist doctrine has never been adequately addressed or revisited. We'll get to why that policy change did come into effect in a moment, but rest assured it was not for moral or ethical reasons. The Mormon Church has done a great deal to quietly edit these sections out of its history and forget that it ever happened in the first place. According to Mormon protocols for repentance, like I've said, one must admit to one's wrongdoings and show a sincere attitude of regret coupled with a desire to abandon a sinful practice. The idea of repentance and to repent, you can't just like go in and hail Mary in, in Mormonism. Like you have to show a, a genuine desire to never do that thing ever again. And, you know, given the prophet's call for the world to re repent on the sin of racism, I suggest he start by looking himself in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Until he addresses these issues, a formal revelation that renounces and apologizes for the white supremacist backbone of Mormonism, his photo ops and nice words don't mean a fucking thing. Oh. Um, and this is the problem I see. Like, they know they've backed themselves into a corner here because literally it's written throughout the entire fucking Book of Mormon, which is proposed as the most true and correct book on earth it's on every picture they take. and it is literally the like it's in, it's in everything they, that they do so they can't make money without white supremacy mm -hmm. i've never seen um i know we here in portland have a big uh, proud boy community and i've never seen a cross analysis of how many of those proud boys are mormons because i don't think anybody's ever thought to do it yeah but i would be shocked if a large portion of them were not Mormon. That would be an interesting study. Anyone out there who's listening to this that might want to do that, um, have at it, please. Please. So uh, now we're going to move on to Mormon slaves or heavenly servants for eternity, which is just a nice way of saving slaves. slaves. Joseph Smith was, you know, your average sort of 19th century racist. And Mormon apologists often go out of their way to point out that Smith believed in segregation rather than slavery and was therefore a progressive thinker. Smith was once posthumously quoted as saying, quote, Had I anything to do with the Negro, I would confine them to a strict law to their own species, unquote. <laughs> While it appears that Smith did allow the ordination of Mormon priesthood to at least three black men on record during his time as prophet, these were likely performed as personal favors or even ecclesiastical oversights. There's too much to go into this, but it looks like these were just kind of oversights. And it's not because like it's hard to see, but uh, the policy was if you had one drop of Negro blood in you that you couldn't hold the priesthood. And not everybody could tell who was a quarter or eighth or whatever the fuck, however you want to quantify that. Yeah. Nobody could tell all the time who was yeah, black and who wasn't. So a lot of quote unquote black guys got in that didn't necessarily were meant to be put in. Okay. Anyway, uh, so while these were probably favors or oversights, uh, they were by no means a normal practice at any point in the church's history until the end of the 1970s. So with the exception of those handful of men at the beginning of the church that were probably oversights, no other men for the 150 years that were black up until the late 1970s uh, were allowed to have the priesthood when they allowed 12-year-old white boys to have it. 
<laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Mormon apologists will additionally point out that much of the persecution of the early church uh, that the early church experienced came from the Missouri slave owners who felt politically threatened by large populations of them moving into the Missouri area so quickly. Those same apologists will make the claim that said anxiety uh, stemmed from Smith being an outspoken advocate of the abolitionist movement. Unfortunately, those claims are historically unfounded. Some will argue uh, that we cannot judge historical figures by modern standards of ethics or uh, morality. And while this is certainly true in some cases, it really just isn't here. Joseph Smith went far out of his way at times to defend and excuse the heinous practice of slavery. In a letter published in a church periodical, Smith affirmed, quote, I do not believe that the people of the North have any more right to say that the South shall not hold slaves than the South shall say that the North shall. The first mention we have of slavery is found in the Holy Bible, and so far that prediction being averse to the mind of God, it meaning slavery, remains as a lasting monument to the decree of Jehovah, to the shame and confusion of all who have cried out against the South, in consequence of their holding the sons of Ham in servitude. Meaning the sons of Ham, black people. The only time Joe seems to have publicly reversed his opinion came out in February of 1844, when he briefly ran for U.S. president on an anti-slavery platform. This was a rather late-stage conversion to abolitionism, as it was just months before his death. It is therefore wholly inaccurate to label Joseph as an abolitionist. So he decided to run for president and saw that he had more of a chance with the abolitionists than... He had more of a chance running on an anti-slavery platform because of the state he was in, for no other reason. Okay. For literally I was wondering how. no other reason. Oh, I believe that. I mean, I've I definitely have seen politics. I I watched the debates and the bullshit. Um, yeah. So okay, what state was he in? Illinois at the time, okay. which was a a free state, a northern state. Okay. Yeah. So after Smith's death in 1844, the power schism that ensued, uh, Brigham Young took control of the main faction of Mormonism, becoming its new president of the main LDS church. Brigham Young, if you think you've heard of that before, is the namesake of the Mormon college Brigham Young University and a popular statue model around Utah today. You can find statues of him fucking everywhere. With the second generation of Mormonism, Brigham's racism took the faith's already deplorable doctrine to new depths. Brigham not only published several articles defending slavery, but approved this trade of slaves in early Utah. Uh, Brigham, there's actually, sadly enough, a, a scenario where Mormons think that they're saving some child slaves that they capture, mm -hmm. and they consequently put them to work in Utah as slaves. Yeah, that sounds like saving someone. Yeah, it's better being slaves for us than slaves for them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brigham and the Mormons under his command even dis even accepted slaves as an appropriate form of tithing uh, or offering to the church or oh, like slaves cool. slaves work. Just so you could offer them a slave's in the basket. Work. Nice. The level of Young's disdain for those of African descent can only be truly understood when one reads the man's own words. And this is probably the most painful quote I'm going to read 
in today's episode. Cool, so I've been holding back the tears, so. Bear with me. Quote, again, this is Brigham fucking Young, the guy, Brigham Young University. And if we're having a discussion about tearing down uh, Confederate statues, mm-hmm. we, can we, we need to have this discussion too. And this is part of that apology that Russell Nelson needs to fucking, like, we need to change that name, maybe. Change the college. <sighs> Rip down the statues. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to why. Quote, you see some classes of the human family that are black. Uncouth, uncomely, disagreeable, and low in their habits, wild and seemingly deprived of nearly all the blessings of intelligence that is generally bestowed upon mankind. The first man that committed the odious crime of killing one of his brethren will be cursed the longest of any one of the children of Adam. Cain slew his brother. Cain might have been killed, and that would have put a termination to the line of human beings. This was not to be, and the Lord put a mark upon him, which is the flat nose and black skin. Trace mankind down to after the flood, and then another curse is pronounced upon the same race, that they should be the servant of servants, and that they will be until that curse is removed. And the abolitionists cannot help it, nor in it least alter this, that decree. How long is that race to endure that dreadful curse which is upon them? That curse will remain upon them, and they can never hold the priesthood or share it until all the descendants of Adam have received the promises and enjoyed the blessings of the priesthood and the keys thereof. So he he means that on Judgment Day, all the white people get to be judged first, and all the black people get judged last, and only then can they be saved. In case, in case you didn't pick up on that. No, I didn't. Um... um Layers here. Layers and layers. Until the last of the residue of Adam's children are brought up to that favorable position, the children of Cain cannot receive the first ordinances of the priesthood. They were the first that were cursed, and they will be the last from whom the cursed will be removed. When the residue of the family of Adam come up and receive their blessings, then the curse will be removed and the seed of Cain, and they will receive their blessings in like proportion. Unquote. To quickly clarify the statement above, people of darker skin colors will eventually have their ancestral curse removed after Judgment Day and will thus find themselves white in heaven. That merits fucking reiteration. Mormon heaven is an Aryan paradise. It is nothing but white people. Even if it is not widely circulated or discussed, this dogma has never been clarified or renounced. So once more, it is current LDS doctrine. Brigham Young later doubled down on such clarification on Mormon doctrine when he said, quote, I have never preached a sermon and sent it out to the children of men that they may not call it scripture, unquote. So, the evidence of Brigham's racism and draconian dictatorship over the early Mormon church are beyond the scope of this uh, one episode. In regards to matters of race, Young's influence had a major impact on the LDS Church, which led to horridly exclusive and bigoted policies, some of which uh, then lasted well into the 1970s. This included an attempted, uh, what I consider an attempted genocide on the uh, Ute people of Utah in order to make space for Salt Lake City, essentially. Which I would like to clarify is my people. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so... Uh, And those children, they were, uh, anyway, just fucked up. Yeah. Just a, a long, I can't get into it, but a long fucked up history with uh, the native people, especially of Utah. Below, 
Um, again, this is from a paper, so I'm about to cover a few examples of Mormon dogmatic folk beliefs that arise during and after Brigham Young's time. Number one, a horrible offshoot of prosperity doctrine nonsense is that those of African descent were being punished in this life because of uh, what they'd done in the pre-mortal existence. Remember, I kind of referenced this a bit, a bit in there earlier. Theirs were the souls which were, quote-unquote, fence-sitters or neutral during the war in heaven. So, for those of you that don't know, in Christian theology, uh, God created everything. He, uh, and especially in Mormon theology, he had a plan. The devil uh, or Satan had basically said, I'll, I'll do, initiate my plan and I'll take all the glory. And Jesus was like, I'll initiate the plan and you can have all the glory. So we went with Jesus's plan and there was a war in heaven and Satan took a third of the host of heaven with him to earth. And that's the devil and his minions. And it was during this war that some of the souls in heaven were neutral or just like didn't choose sides this fast isn't enough. my fucking fight <laughs> so uh when people were created god put all those bad neutral souls that kind of didn't switch si or choose sides fast enough he put those in african bodies and that was their punishment for their pre-mortal sins and you know another racist mormon prophet eventually better clarified this concept when he stated quote there were no neutrals in the war in heaven all took sides either with christ or with satan every man had his agency there and men receive rewards based upon their actions there just as they, they will receive rewards hereafter for the deeds done in the body the negro evidently is receiving the rewards he merits unquote <laughs> number two <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm trying not to sigh through the whole episode, but it's just, uh, uh, trying not to vomit, and I'm drinking my way through this. <clears throat> so number two, while some individuals of African descent were permitted to join the church, as already mentioned, they were denied access to the, the religion's most sacred ceremonies. Most notably, the temple ordinances and the family sealings, which are used to ensure worthy families can spend the afterlife together. So you like seal each other, your souls together and you can go spend heaven together, I guess. One woman, Jane Elizabeth Manning, was a faithful and lifelong member of the LDS church who crossed the plains to, uh, with the Mormons and passed away in Salt Lake City in 1908. She petitioned the church leadership many times with the desire to be sealed to her family for all time and eternity. It was really simple, just like... Super simple. I'm sure everyone in the fucking church got it. Literally everyone else. And for no reason other than her skin color, she was denied repeatedly during her lifetime. <laughs> Instead, as a consolation prize for her lifelong devotion to the church, she was sealed to Joseph and his family in the afterlife. And uh, not surprisingly, when she was notified of this, she wasn't satisfied, and she continued petitioning the church. They she told her like, while she was still alive? Yeah. They were like, hey, uh, you know, consolation prize, you can be a servant in heaven. And she was like, I, can I, I just want to be sealed to my family. Yeah, my fucking family. Um, so... Uh, not as a family member. She wasn't sealed to Smith as a family member, by the way. No, she no. was sealed to Smith as a servant right. in heaven. Yeah. Jane Elizabeth Manning obviously did not give her consent for the leadership's uh, concession, which once again... Yeah, but Mormons don't really give a shit about that. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. 
um, and it's never been corrected or apologized for. In fact, during her eulogy, during her fucking eulogy, one of the Mormon hierarchy said that in the heaven she would be white and beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That hurts uh, so deeply. Ugh. I can't imagine. I, it disgusts me, and I... I um... So Jane and Elizabeth Manning obviously did not give her consent, uh, like I mentioned, and to reiterate... Joseph Smith currently has a fucking slave in heaven. And at some undisclosed date in the distant future, approximately just after Judgment Day, when all of the other white people have been judged, she too will at long last get to be delightsome and white. But still a heavenly servant. Which is just a nicer way of saying a slave. And that's just one that we know about. So can we see why Prophet Nelson's uh, recent actions and comments, which capitalize on the murder of, of George Floyd's murder, and it fucking infuriates me the way it does, and uh, that the founder of Mormonism has a fucking slave in Mormon heaven who will one day be made white by Jesus with all the other black people? Whereas the Fuhrer of Jesus will reign for a thousand years. <laughs> it fucking, like, it's a legit Aryan heaven. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ, I'm on, I'm on crazy pills. Like, yeah. an there's millions of people around the world that believe this. The idea of a Mormon Aryan heaven survived well into the 20th century. Mormon apostle Mark E. Peterson went one step further with his concept of heavenly slaves when he stated, quote, If the Negro is faithful in all his days, he can and will enter the celestial kingdom. He will go there as a servant, and he will get a celestial resurrection. He will get a place in celestial glory. So you'll get to be in heaven. You'll get a cool resurrected body, but you're still going to be a servant and you're going to be an angel, essentially. That's who angels are. So in case you don't know, angels are different from resurrected beings in Mormon the cosmology. Okay. And angels are probably similarly cursed people from the last existence. Remember I told you there's like a turtle shell thing where like, and we'll get into it with the Mormon cosmology episode, okay. but essentially like there's a, a, turtles all the way down concept where like men can become gods right and you get your own planet and you get to make your own whatever yeah, and then you get all your and then wives all your babies can become gods and I, okay and so there's just a line of gods 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 and all of the angels the servants all of these servants are probably similarly cursed people just slaves or just slaves that got to be white but you're you're a, now you're a servant in heaven or slave yeah. In a religious cosmology consisting of several degrees of heaven, the celestial kingdom is the highest achievement in Mormon afterlife. Again, according to Apostle Mark E. Peterson, the guy who made that last statement, those of African descent can only attain this level of heaven as a, an eternal slave or servant. Peterson was never an acting prophet or president of the Mormon faith granted, but such statements coming from the lips of church hierarchy illustrates the prevalence of these dogmatic beliefs. As these have never been clarified or apologized for by a higher-ranking church official, one is left to assume that this too is church dogma, if a generally undiscussed one. Not only are all black people white in Mormon heaven, but you get to be slaves forever. Yay. Yay, right? When so many Mormon officials have doubled down on this one point of Mormon dogma, it can't be quietly hushed up and ignored. You can't just, like, take a photo op and be like, no, we're cool, <laughs> right? We're cool. It's 1978. It's, like, a decade after segregation ended. We're finally going to give you the priesthood, right? We're cool. We're cool, right? We're just, 
we can just move on. We don't have to talk about anything ever again. Cool. Cool, guys. I argue you should tap into that sweet God Bluetooth and get a revelation that changes this yeah. for fuck sake. Yeah. It should have been done a long time ago. <laughs> Number three. Despite uh, Joe's first polygamous decree to take additional wives from the Native American populations uh, the Mormons were attempting to convert, intermarriage between white Mormons and those of African descent was strictly forbidden. In a private journal entry dated well into the 20th century, fourth president of the LDS Church, Wilford Woodruff, wrote, quote, If any man mingle his seed with the seed of Cain, the only way he could get rid of it or have salvation would be to come forward and have his head cut off and spill his blood upon the ground. It would t also take the life of his children. So we should murder you and your fucking kids. This is in the 20th century, people. We should murder you and your fucking kids for having interracial marriages. Uh, qu quote, from LDS First Presidency member George Albert Smith in a letter to Virgil H. Sponberg, a critic of the anti-black ban dated May 15th, 1947, quote, Contemplate the intermarriage of the Negro and white races, a concept which has heretofore been most repugnant to most normal-minded people from the ancient patriarchs until now. There is a growing tendency, particularly among some educators, as it manifests itself in this area toward the breaking down of race barriers in the matter of intermarriage between blacks and whites, but it does not have a sanction of the church and is contrary to church doctrine." Unquote. Clearly still a sensitive topic to church officials in 2015. 2015, a Mormon Sunday school teacher was recently dismissed from his position for openly speaking about the church's history regarding race. After being asked by his students why his Nigerian wife would join a church with such racism in its foundational doctrine, the gentleman very admirably looked up the properly sanctioned church publications on this topic. And he was then subsequently fired from his teaching position for presenting that officially sanctioned material to his students. It is utterly impossible to ignore the blatant racism embedded into Mormon doctrine and cosmology. Despite the church's many edits and attempts to cover up this unsavory history, the culture and principles of white supremacy still insidiously pervade the Mormon religion to this day. The only way these mistakes can be remedied assuming that it matters to a hierarchical pyramid of rich white men at all, is for the church to finally air its historical dirty laundry and offer up some kind of an apology and official policy change. Which brings us to the policy changes that were made in 1978 about uh, African people holding the priesthood. Was it ethics or was it just good business? The much belated change in church doctrine, policies, and subsequent edits to church materials were not initiated in earnest until 1978, many years after segregation in the United States ended, uh, you might notice. No apology, again, was ever issued by the church for its behavior in the past. The hierarchy simply decreed a new revelation from God, and that was it. Let's all just move along. Nothing to see here. There's a number of quaint stories which have emerged in the LDS Church regarding the shift towards basic human equality. 
They refer to various ways that the Spirit of the Lord spontaneously dictated this epistemological shift in foundational doctrine and policy. Despite these unsubstantiated folktales, when one takes into account the political and social events leading up to this revelation, then the whole event seems like good business sense rather than divinely ordained inspiration. Just like Joe always made. One of the LDS's church's uh, considerable income streams stems from the flagship university, Brigham Young University, or BYU. By now, I hope that university's name uh, enrages you as it does me. In October 1969, 14 Wyoming Cowboys football players were kicked off the team by the coach Lloyd Eaton. The players were retired for threatening to wear black armbands in order to draw attention to racist LDS doctrine and policy. Kind of sounds like people kneeling, doesn't it? Yeah. It's good we've solved that problem, right? This incident spiraled into a number of colleges boycotting athletic games against BYU, including Stanford and San Jose State. Nice. Additionally, there was also a, number, a great deal of pressure mounting in the early 1970s uh, from the Boy Scouts of America over Mormons withholding leadership positions to both adults and children of African descent. Huh. Adding to this tension, uh, in 1979, the church announced that a temple was to be built in Sao Paulo, Brazil. The church dumped millions into the temple grounds and the various buildings lo located around the complex. Much of the population that helped finance and build the temple were themselves mixed African descent because they were in fucking Brazil. And thus, you know, would be, for all intents and purposes, banned from the temple after its completion. Previously, the church had publicly stated that people could not enter the temple if they had even the least particle of Negro blood. That's a quote. The Brazilian population is such a cultural melting pot that it would additionally prove impossible to verify this insane policy, and leaders were finding it difficult to explain themselves without revealing to the world their real doctrine and dogmatic beliefs. So huh. they were kind of getting pressured into just like making a change and not talking about it. Yeah. Furthermore, and also I think it kind of bespeaks that they were – of their racism that they started a temple project in Brazil and they were just like, it's people in South America. And then they learned that a lot of the people that live in Brazil are from Africa. <laughs> they were like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. <laughs> I think that's a kind of quiet, unspoken side of that. Um, anyway, furthermore, there is substantial uh, circumstantial evidence to suggest that during a 1977 meeting with LDS church leaders, then-President Jimmy Carter threatened to withhold federal tax-exempt status from the church for its racist and discriminatory policies. Nice. Good on Jimmy Carter. Um, wow. That The year prior, in 1976, BYU had been placed in similar peril by possibly having federal student loans withheld for the same reasons. This was a potential loss of millions in yearly tax-free income. Yeah. Retroactively, the Mormon church was in a position to lose billions of dollars, which yeah. would have bankrupt them overnight. Oh, God, that would have been glorious. Would have been, but it wasn't. Yeah, Because, you know, not. they no. conceded a little bit yeah. and then just moved on. Yeah, no, of course not. Pivot, pivot, pivot. Mm -hmm. They learned from Joe. Yeah. The Mormon hierarchy has been unapologetically dragging their collective feet on the matter of race for well over a century at this point. Even a casual observer should find it suspicious that the Mormon God decided to reverse a deplorable and institutionalized caste system for slavery, which had been in place since the proposed birth of creation, which was 6,000 years by their calculations, only when the church was in danger of going bankrupt. 
So 6,000 years of established and institutionalized caste slavery. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to change my mind on that because you guys are going bankrupt. God does work in mysterious fucking ways. (laughs) Uh, In order to better illustrate this very business-like approach to the subject, the following timeline has been provided, uh, courtesy of mormonthink.com. On March 11th, 1977... At 12.03 p.m., President Carter met with Spencer W. Kimball, president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, with a few uh, Mormon representatives, uh, a Mormon representative from Utah and Nevada. He met with them for approximately 20 minutes in the White House. On June of 1977, just months after this, Church President Spencer W. Kimball asks three church officials to write memos about the implications of a possible lifting of those restrictions. So it's a 20-minute meeting, and then three months later. Mm -hmm. And apparently people were not happy about that meeting. (laughs) So it sounds like they went into the meeting. Jimmy Carter was like, hey, we're going to do this because we've been doing this to other groups. So that's that. And months later, they're like, okay, we're going to initiate this. He probably even gave them a timeline. It was like, you have a year. I'm going to give you a year to fix this. Yeah. So in June of 77, he again uh, asks some of his like hierarchy to write memos about this and what the implications are. In March of 1978, almost a year later, a joint meeting of the church hierarchy, the leadership decided that any change in church policy should be presented as a revelation. So they, in a, biz, in a business meeting, decided that they would release this as a revelation. And it took them this long to decide that. Yeah. Because this this had to be sat and thought about really carefully. Because we were losing funds. Spencer W. Kimball decides later that month to go ahead with the changes and is advised by his counselors to wait for the full support of the church's main leadership. (laughs) So not everybody's totally on board. And uh, in June 1978, just a month, like almost exactly a a year after his meeting with uh, with the president, mm-hmm. uh, Kimball initiates the drafting of an official declaration to the changes of the church policy and doctrine. The statement is later presented the, to the larger body of the church's leadership and the press is informed. He actually does this while um, some of the people who are against this are mm-hmm. out of town. So he, he, in a business move, waits till the guys who are against it are out of town, then initiates it and just like, too bad. In October of 1978, just months after this, Sao Paulo, Brazil Temple is dedicated by Spencer W. Kimball, and all those millions of dollars are not wasted because all the people that helped build it and found it can actually go inside. (laughs) And that was it. Nearly a century and a half of institutionalized oppression, bigotry, and intolerance was meant to be whitewashed away with one press release and a supposed story regarding a revelation from God which was discussed in a business meeting. Mm -hmm. While this revelation gave those of African descent the same earthly rights as white members, it did nothing to address the other very serious issues like Aryan heaven, Joseph's heaven slaves, or the pre-mortal fence sitters, or, you know, an inherently racist God and cosmology and scripture for fuck's sake. After reviewing the previous timeline, take into account one last quote from Spencer W. Kimball regarding the revelation. Quote, I offered the final prayer and I told the Lord that if it wasn't right, if he didn't want this change to come in the church, that I would be true to it all the rest of my life and I'd fight the world against it if that's what he wanted, unquote. 
brushing right past what seems to be Kimball's sincere desire to be a crusader for human inequality. If this is the standard by which we are to judge divine revelation, just basically like, hey, tell me if this is bad, and I'll fight it forever, but don't say anything, and we're going to just do this business thing that we already decided on doing. Don't you think that, like, revelation for God, maybe we should, like, raise the bar a little fucking higher? Yeah. Understand that the world is not likely to ever hear an apology uttered from the lips of Mormon authorities for its unsavory history and inherently white supremacist ideology. Mormon leadership does not have a fabulous track record for being socially progressive or standing on the right side of history and does not generally make a habit of openly addressing its mistakes. Unfortunately, that is not likely to change unless the Mormon hierarchy is openly and respectfully opposed for presenting such a farcical and whitewashed excuse for its history and philosophy and fucking doctrine. As this episode has clearly outlined, despite heavy edits to church policy and scripture in 1978, there are still a good number of unacknowledged issues regarding institutionalized oppression through white supremacist philosophy that are still present in Mormon religion. The only way to the faith will be held accountable for the and made to stop deifying their hate-mongering patriarchs is for the world to stop excusing and ignoring the fact that this problem still exists. The Mormons change policy when it hits them financially, and that's that's it. So any Mormons that are listening to this, if anyone's made you listen to this, stop paying your fucking tithing. Stand up against the leadership and force a meaningful policy change and, and doctrinal change. Or, or at least come to terms with the fact that you are a part of a systemically racist religion. If you are not racist, much like the cops, not all cops are racist, but they are part of a systemically and institutionalized racist system. So especially right now, take a look at yourself and your relationship with Mormonism. And if you're paying them fucking money, stop. Arguably, it is one of the most inherently racist religions on the planet, and I don't understand how anybody can give them money knowing what they believe. And now that you know what they believe, please help disseminate this. Please help dismantle. Please help dismantle this bullshit, and please help spread this information. Yeah. Like even if this is just a, I I've never asked for anything so far in this podcast. I I meant this to just promote my book. I'm not doing this to make money, but if you can do anything right now, please share this one episode. I don't care if anybody watches about the crazy bullshit with drugs and all the cool like giants and nonsense and fantasy Christian bullshit. I would really just like you to share this one episode and let everybody know what's really taking place and what really needs to be addressed and apologized for. And again, if you're giving these people money, please consider stopping. I don't really know how to end this. <laughs> I feel like I just ranted a bit. This is just shitty and it's fucked up. And I want to raise my kids in a different world than this. So badly. So please help and do what you can. If you're out there protesting, continue exercising your given right to do so. And don't let this end. Please don't let this end. Just, we need to keep hitting at this until it gets fixed. And the only way we're going to do that is if we hit them financially. That's yeah. the only thing anybody's learned from this, I think. That's the only thing they care about. So, 
<clears throat> Best wishes to you all. If you've made it this far into the podcast, <laughs> thank you and best wishes. Stay safe out there. Absolutely.